My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater bringing you another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. I'm going to just jump right into the episode today as we've got a lot to cover. But before I do, I just have to thank all of you listeners who keep my numbers up and keep returning for more. I'm just thrilled you like the show as much as you do. So please, I beseech you, share that love with others. Send your favorite episode to anyone who you think might be interested and let's Let's just see how much the fire can spread from a single spark. Okay, a little dramatic? Come on, you're listening to a theater podcast. Okay, fine. Yeah, it was a little dramatic. But hey, I gotta tell you, my listeners, it's really a delight to have a short list of friends I can reach out to who have appeared on the show before and have enjoyed their time so much that they're happy to return. This episode is no different. For this episode, I welcome back a good friend from college who has had a really incredible career as an actor, Brian Michael Jones. You may remember Brian from his theater horror story, or the full-length episodes The Rites of Dionysus, or Misguided Advertising. Now, I went back and listened to Misguided Advertising recently, and man, that was a beauty of an episode. And from recent theater history, and the story for today is no different. Man, I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, here it is. Broadway street performers. Oh, Brian, here we are again. Oh, you you sounded like you were tired of me already. Oh, Brian. <laughs> oh, Brian. Well, that's been a great episode so far, and I want to thank you for your contribution. No, stay no. tuned, Brian. Having Brian around is a great <laughs> is a great thing. No, nah, but I love I love having you come back. I, I uh-huh. I've always enjoyed working with you. Um, I, I love your perspective on things, and and I've enjoyed seeing what you've been doing. You have actually sent me several little snippets of your new character. You're doing voice work for named Terry Benson. Is that right? Terry Benson. Terry Benson. Uh, he's this cute, wonderful little uh, Muppet looking uh, computer animated uh, character that I'm working with by a wonderful artist named Carlos Portolas, and he works with DreamWorks. He's one of the head of animation directors for the Trolls uh, franchise. And oh, right, yeah, finished, yeah, yeah. They just finished Trolls 3, um, and uh, and in the meantime, on his off hours, he's producing these super cute little adventures of this character who, go, who's, who is a reporter and travels through various dimensions, meeting all <laughs> sorts of monsters, and it never ends up good for him, bless his heart. He's always just like, well, I'm here reporting on this. Oh, is that your mouth? Oh, I'm, I've been bitten in half. 
<laughs> it's that kind of thing. Oh, that's which, brilliant. Which I love. And I think the last one, it was something about trying to have him blink or something like that. Yes, he. <laughs> well, the animation is is isn't you know he does it in his off off time you know so Carlos the animator he doesn't necessarily uh, you know put in every single blink and eye movement this and that he just does the basics you know to keep him, <laughs> to keep production you know kind of a quick on the quick pace um, but then people were calling him out going hey your character never blinks you know people oh. online calling him out like where you, you they're like fine I'll blink and then he finally blinks and it just makes his eyes slide off of his head yeah. Like, yeah, go check that blink. one out. See? Yeah. <laughs> if, if you go into Instagram Reels or on TikTok, I'm sure you'll all find it out there. Uh Terry Benson, interdimensional reporter. But yeah, uh, I've I've good. cracked up. Uh you had so much to that. But you know, uh in your move to Nashville over the last few years, you're actually kind of getting into the improv circuit out there and and sounds like you're co-starting a company. Is that right? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in uh, starting a company. I hope it happens. You know, it may fall through, darn it. But uh, the improv here in Nashville yep. is alive and well. They've got a great company downtown and they've got other companies kind of popping up. And this next one, I, I hope to be heavily involved with. Uh, if not, uh, it's called Oddity. 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 Theater. Oddity. I love um, it. And they're in the little baby stages of, of getting started in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. Um, and it's a guy uh, named, uh, uh, Chris, he's with the, he was with the groundlings. He was the artistic oh, director okay. for many, many years. And he moved out to, to Nashville and we just agree on all the things improv. And so I found yeah. a kindred spirit, uh, <laughs> with Chris. So that's going to be a lot of fun. That is helpful. That is helpful. I mean, I've, I'm here in my little town of Sheridan, Wyoming. And over the last, you know, 15 years, I've started three improv troops and uh, <laughs> some went great. Some just kind of went, well, the people who were here had to go on yeah. to do other things. So I guess we're not doing it anymore. And we're like, oh, it's, okay. it's, you know, it's a lot like a band, like a garage band, you know, yeah. we all, we're all musicians. <laughs> Let's just get together. We did an album and you know, and, um, but uh, really we don't have drums anymore. <laughs> uh, our drummer got married. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love to hear that, though. And I hope you recognized I'm wearing my Nashville Predators shirt just for you tonight. Oh. Uh, yeah. That kitty cat has really large teeth. I know. I've always thought that. Like, I look at it and I go, that looks yeah. really vicious. But could you imagine that thing talking? It's a saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> it looks vicious. <laughs> the teeth will impale you. But yeah, if he talks... The meow. Exit stage left. Stop making fun of me. I eat woolly mammoths. I'm gonna puncture your throat. Yeah, it's you know. Well, that's me. I don't look threatening, but uh, if I drink a couple cups of coffee, I can get pretty squirrely. I could. I know. Otherwise, yeah. (laughs) You know that makes me think of like Alan Tudyk, who was the voice of the rooster in (laughs) Moana. And and I'm a poor and, man's Alan Tudyk, <laughs> but even him, he's a poor man's Alan Tudyk because they're like, we just need you to voice the rooster. Oh, do I get songs? <laughs> do I get? No, all you have to do is scream and cluck, and yep, <laughs> he can do it. That's a he talented man. It. <laughs> he can do it. Oh man, ah, oh, well, Brian, that sounds awesome, but. uh uh brian you know i brought you here for a reason and i appreciate you taking your time out and um oh boy i got a great topic here for you today 
I mean, I really hit a brick wall with some topics and I'm going, ah, the one I had for you, I was looking at and I couldn't, I just couldn't find the thing about it. But then I started thinking about this one and it just laid itself out for me. It was just gorgeous. I mean, I heard, I, I just put my fingers to the keyboard and it just wrote. So okay. well, keep I, the expectations I, nice and low. Right. No. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I did ask you this though earlier this week, just through text, and I said, "Save it for the show." I want you to, I want you to tell me what you think here. But um, Mm -hmm. here's my question for you, Brian: What do you feel is your favorite lost performing art? You know, they talk about those. It's like it's a lost art. Yes, Uh, I have three that popped in my mind. One is uh, uh, the stained glass. They make stained glass like the Middle Ages. They've lost the ability to make those stained glass that look so vibrant and clear and oh. through the ages. Uh, now, the see, my, one, my mother is a, my mother is a stained glass artist, but, and, and she has made some very vibrant pieces, but it's very, well, much I'm, I'm like here to tell of, you, she can't, she's got nothing compared to the middle age, uh, pestilence riddled, uh, maker. I don't know what I'm saying, Aaron, your mom's <laughs> wonderful. I bet she's very talented. Um, but the, <laughs> but the other one was, um, I was going to say mime, but mime isn't lost. It's still around. Okay. It's still around. Um, but every time I see mime pop up in TV and a film, it's always the butt of a joke. Uh, and I've been very guilty of that when I'm a mime on Nickelodeon or whatever else. It's always uh, making fun of the art. Mm-hmm. But I landed on vaudeville of like the 20s, oh, 30s, yes. and 40s. The vaudeville, the quick-paced jokes, set them up, bing, bang, boom, the quick wit, the banter. Uh, that that uh, was so fantastic on radio programs and then also gave birth to the classic... Um, uh, television, you know, Milton Berle, uh, Abbott and Costello, um, Lucille Ball, all, all that, 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 that tradition of working in front of a crowd every night live and working your jokes and getting that pace up. And yeah. Sharp. Yeah. Um, I can relate to that in a couple of different ways. I, I just recently did that, uh, show in Denver and, uh, later that night, uh, my mother and I attended a, uh, a new comedians workshop. Or something like that. It was it was at Denver Comedy Works, and it was New Comedy Night, and so it was like it was a slew of people. We saw so many comedians, Brian, that were doing their first set on the stand up comedy stage ever, and so you're like, you got to give them a little bit because they're trying, they're they're throwing themselves out there, which is amazing. And then they had you know some some like mid level performers who'd been in the game a while, but they're like, ah, I'm not sure if uh, you know I'm really getting the the shtick. And then he had like pros who were like, I've just got this new bit. I want to see if it lands. And it was so neat to see that. But I have actually been in some vaudeville performances because <laughs> the Wyo Theater here in Sheridan. Um, mm-hmm started out as a vaudeville theater because you know we're 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 on a train route and you know uh, it's so fun to travel old towns that were on train routes because they inevitably seem to have some big beautiful theater that is still Mm. there or it used Mm. to be there but it was kind of funny because you know when they described it to most people they're like if you got a song you can do bring the song if you have like a pet who does a trick bring the pet something like that and very few people wanted to do comedy. I had a friend who created a character. It was kind of like a Fran Drescher nanny character who wanted to get up and tell <laughs> East Coast jokes to a Western crowd. <laughs> I created a character called Struggle Bus. <laughs> what? <laughs> who was kind of a mime clown. 
and struggle only, bus struggle bus and i only Man. performed it like two or three times but i went into a costume shop i found a beat up old felt hat i put it on i i made my cheeks and nose look like i was you know flaming red alcoholic and uh you know i had a cigarette mm-hmm. hanging out of my mouth and everything middle of the show the the host is talking and i just burst through a door <laughs> and i'm acting like it's my hotel room like i smash my hat up on a hook that i think is supposed to be there it falls to the ground i get up on the stage i start like taking off my coat and undoing Mm. my suspenders and moon the crowd basically i had my shorts on they were silk boxers with hearts on them but you know it was that kind of thing where you're like you're just trying to get a rise out of people with little stupid stuff like that yeah yeah i see it i love that i love that i I once played a version of, you know, Dobby from Harry Potter. Yes. Uh, we, were, we were doing a knockoff uh, stage show. Instead of called Harry Potter, it was called Charlie Presto <laughs> uh, at uh, Comedy Sports in Los Angeles. Did he have a scar of like a horseshoe on his forehead? Yeah. <laughs> it was a different lucky charm. Uh, so, and I, uh, I, was, I was named Scrapple <laughs> as this little elf who was even more decrepit than Dobby. Oh, Dobby. <laughs> Obvious you, scrapple. You. I scrapple. <laughs> I handled the toilet brushes in the outhouse. Oh. Yeah, he was there. My character was not charming uh, <laughs> at all. Not nearly. He, he just wanted him to die immediately. Yes. Yeah. Off the stage. Excellent. Well, Brian, I'm going to tell you a little bit of story here. All right. This summer, 2023, I was able to take my boys and Andra, the woman who walks beside me, for their first trip to Broadway. We got a hotel right in Times Square, and the two theaters where we planned to see shows were literally across the street on two different sides of the hotel. It was really great. But the first night we arrived, the whole party wanted to get some authentic New York pizza. Mm. Now, there are many different schools of thought on this, and this might be one of those things where I finally get some people who are like, you don't know what you're talking about with New York pizza. But where does one actually get authentic New York pizza? Now, in my mind, that's a really large pizza with ridiculously fresh ingredients on a very thin crust, so you can fold the slice over and make something of like a makeshift calzone, right? Right. Okay, that's what right. New York pizza is to me. Mm-hmm. But this, again, is just one school of thought. And as I remember from my previous trip to Broadway, uh, when I also stayed near uh, Times Square, I found several places that could provide, if nothing else, an authentic tourist experience of New York pizza. <laughs> I mean, it was like, here's Famous Ray's, or then there's the next one, two storefronts over is Ray's Famous Pizza. And then (laughs) you have another one down the street. It's like, Pizza by Famous Ray. (laughs) Yeah, the one called Ray who? Don't go, don't go. No, no, no. (laughs) Ray what's it? Ray who's something. Ray something. (laughs) Ray's stuff. So within walking distance of our hotel, I led my troop into the wilds of Times Square where we all got an eyeful. It was nighttime, and I'm sure if my listeners haven't actually visited Times Square, they've probably at least seen some video in movies or on social media. Home Alone 2, yeah. Yeah, right? At night, that entire section of town is lit up by all manner of lights, most recently coming in the form of HD video billboards that are stories tall. Hmm. From our hotel room... (laughs) My youngest son went to sleep each night watching a video billboard run through all of the current specials at McDonald's and several, <laughs> yeah, and several locations were within reach of Times Square. 
sweet dreams. Yeah. Sweet, yeah. salty, fat dreams. I mean, there were times it's like I got up to go to the bathroom or something and just yellow was just shining in. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> cheeseburgers. Okay. You're instantly <laughs> in some dystopian future. Yep. So in any case, my boys have been to Disneyland several times. So I reminded them that the amount of people in the streets at that time would feel pretty similar to that. And that there has been a significant change in crime rates over the past 20 years. So Times Square is actually a relatively safe-ish place to be at night. And honestly, we were there four days, never had any troubles while we were there. Mm -hmm. But on our way to the pizza joint, we did see what has become something of a staple in the theater district. Almost as much of a tourist draw as the Broadway shows themselves at this point. There are actual guides online that can direct you to some of the more popular offerings in this category. And that category I speak of is Broadway street performers. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) What, What exactly is a Broadway street performer? Like, are they busking for a show or are they, are they the New York equivalent of like Superman in front of the Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Oh, good. I'm glad you all brought those up because I'm going to be bringing those up. Now, I'm not talking about just the buskers that have a guitar or some other musical instrument with a bucket at their feet and subway stations or on streets. I'm not just talking about the hip-hop dance troops. So before we start, I really want to make a point of clarification. I know that there are plenty of street performers out there legitimately trying to make their way and get noticed and get some kind of a following. And to the listener who might pass by one of these performers who is legitimately trying to make a buck with their music or art or comedy, et cetera, please give them a shot. They're out there giving their all much better than a lot of us would do. I'm sensing a however. But rather. But there's the the but. Yep. I, I I I have to say this is going to be something of a sensationalist piece of media. Yeah. Because I'm talking about the costumed characters that roam around Times Square just waiting for excited tourists who want to take a picture with Captain America or the Statue of Liberty. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. Yep. Yes. And, my, and my Siri apparently wanted to pipe in there. So if you heard her talking on my watch, then um, yeah, she she's like, I've got something to say. Siri. Now, Brian, I asked you this. You've never even been to New York, right? I've been to New York. Oh, you've been no, to not, New York. Okay. Yeah, I've been to New York. I, I've been to Times Square walking around there, uh, you know, once. Okay. You know, I, I was there for two weeks recording a country album that got radio play in Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you very much. Well, citizens of Omaha. Your uh, <laughs> your man is here. Mm-hmm. I had a I had an awesome wicked guitar solo in a country song called Hooters Girl. Come on, Aaron, by Harold Barnard and Zygo and the Deuce, baby. <laughs> Excellent. You are the soggy bottom boys of Omaha, Nebraska. That's yeah, amazing. Maybe. But anyway, you also mentioned you you were in L.A. for a number of years, and so the phenomenon is out there too. You were mentioning oh, yes. about. The people at the crossroads of Hollywood and Vine and especially in front of Grauman's Chinese Theater. So, yeah. So what if what have you seen there? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, Jack Sparrow, um, (laughs) uh, definitely. And Superman, um, of course, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, always a stormtrooper or two, uh, Darth Vader. um, And uh, golly, Elmo, dirty Elmo. Just, oh. and and spongebob just the saddest most it looks like spongebob got deflated and in, injected with liquid depression 
and he's just moping <laughs> around, waving at people, trying to get pictures. Uh, oh, who lives in a pineapple <laughs> under the sea? Nah. <laughs> absorbent and yellow and... Ah, forget it. <laughs> I was absorbent once. Uh, and I think that Elmo, he doesn't even try to make his voice high. Hey, oh. hey you want to take a picture with me? I'm Elmo. Doesn't even try. It's so sad. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about today. Costume street performers in New York City. God bless him. There's a naked cowboy. Is he still around? In Times oh, Square? we're going to be talking about him at length here in a little bit. Oh, <laughs> at length? No pun intended. Okay. Nope, not at all. All right. Um, <laughs> now, costume street performers have become so prolific in Times Square over the last many years as they don't actually need to get a permit to, air quotes, perform in Times Square. You can just get the costume and show up. There are just certain laws, like how far these performers need to be away from residences at certain times of the day, <laughs> and how far they need to be away from churches and schools. Knew it. And they definitely have a curfew in Times Square, 10 okay. p.m. And I, mm-hmm. I can vouch for that. Like, I, I did see some stragglers, because, you know, like after shows and stuff, you're like, oh, I forgot toothpaste. And so you'd have to go out to a Dwayne Reed or something like that and you go pick up some toothpaste. I didn't see any, any of them. It was just people at that point. Just people so getting from ha- here. So to when there. 10 o'clock rolls around, do they just like back into the gutters? Yeah. Or, they, or do they just <laughs> go to the ether? They just, they lurk back in the shadows. And the I shadows? think what happens is now that it's so lit up, you just see hundreds of little points of light and they shoot off into the sky. <laughs> but you're so distracted, like, oh, M&Ms. I would like M&Ms. You blink and they got, or they just take their heads off and. Where where the hell did Big Bird go? (laughs) Yeah, I'll ask this guy in the big feather suit. But other than that, a permit is usually only required if a performer is going to use some sort of amplified sound machine. So like a boom box, a megaphone, a microphone, or an amp for the musical instrument. Okay. That permit costs $45 a day. A day? A day. But you got to think if you're making, well, I mean, even if you're making 50 bucks from playing songs for four hours on in some subway station, hey, you made five bucks. <laughs> okay. I'm in the wrong line of work, Aaron. Right. Right. Okay. But if a person just wanted to appear in costume, there isn't any law or regulation preventing that person from walking around and benefiting from their air quotes talent. Now I'm curious <laughs> if it's that unregulated. Have how many times do we have you know Captain America show up and there's Captain America? Oops! Oh, what are you gonna do? Have a America off? Oh, how many brawls have there been between Elmos and <laughs> M and M's and Jack Sparrow? You're not the real Donkey Kong. I'm the real Donkey Kong. SpongeBob going mother forget yeah. pop 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 pop. And beating each other with little snails. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay. Of course, there are laws for harassment and sometimes stalking. And it seems to be more of the negative behavior for which the culture of Broadway street performing has earned something of a reputation. <laughs> I love that there's a culture. So one could, there's actually a book out there somewhere comparing the cultures of New York Times Square characters and hollywood mm, yes. they do they may get away from that with hollywood but out here in new york no touching mm, wow yeah 
So it made me curious to think how street performers got the reputation that they did, where savvy tourists will just pass them by, whereas gullible tourists will be lured into their trap and get harassed or even attacked. <laughs> and I was reminded as how, even, even you mentioned it here a little bit ago, growing up in the 80s and 90s, growing fond of stand-up comedians and memorizing movies by watching them over and over, I couldn't help but think that street mm -hmm. mimes in New York seem to be just generally detestable on a cultural yeah. level. Yeah. Right? It was like, ugh, mimes. But they're just out there trying to make a buck like everybody else. I've gotten to be a, a professional mime a handful of times. And again, like I said earlier, it's, 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 uh, you're the butt of a joke. I, there's a show on, on Nickelodeon, Danger Force, where I played the mime who stole the nation's first baguette. I was the villain. Delightful. Um, but still very much a, look at this, look at this idiot. Ugh. And then the other episode, I just I just walked into a scene just so that I could get a pie in the face and get rid of this idiot. I actually just saw that oh, on your Facebook. Those memories on Facebook. <laughs> hey, remember this tiny role you got on some <laughs> Disney show? Thank you, Facebook. And there's you with the great yeah. white face ringed in black makeup yeah. and a, a makeup tear yeah. coming down your eye with cake dripping off your face and a big sad frown. Hey, I did a commercial for Chevrolet that, that aired only in Latin markets, and I was the only English speaker on set, and I couldn't speak because I was a mime. <laughs> I was a mime huh? selling the Chevy <laughs> Max hatchback or whatever, and my job was to run in place next to a roaring campfire. I don't understand. I don't. There's no. And and the director was <laughs> keep yell, kept yelling at me. Hiyar, Morintes, Brian, Brian. He pronounced my name Brian, which was really cool and very fancy uh, name for Brian. Uh, and uh, and he wanted me to do the the take to the camera where I'm like really surprised, like that meme of that gopher, that surprise dramatic headshot gopher. Bum bum bum. <laughs> you know, and the gopher kind of looks at you. He wanted me to do that, uh -huh. but in, apparently right. his we say bum bum bum. But there, he for some reason, he went, you know, like the little rodent, shoom, shoom, shoom. Shoom, shoom. That's a cultural difference. <laughs> we say bump, bump, bump. He goes, shoom, shoom, shoom. And I drank my lunch out of a straw, and I was a mime another day after that. Well, hey, you got paid, didn't you? There we go. Yeah, but no one liked me because I had a mime makeup on. Well, but see, that's just it. It seems as though as a society... We're just supposed to hate mimes. We are. Without any attempts to appreciate the art at all. It is an incredible, physical, fantastic art when it's done well. It's it's jaw-droppingly good. Right! It's amazing storytelling. Mm -hmm. Incredible physical physiques, these these guys. Uh, just to yes. walk against a wind yeah. is incredible. Every muscle in your body is engaged. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, mm -hmm. what a shame. That's okay. I kind of want to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to it later. But before I get into any of that, I do want to give my listeners something of an overview of street performance as it actually has been considered a legitimate form of street theater and uh, legitimate art form for literally centuries. And, and first of all, I should start by calling this art form something more uh, by its proper name. And we've kind of hinted at it a couple of times, but this is known as busking. And at best, Linguists believe it comes from the Spanish root word buscar, which means to search. And I go, that kind of makes sense. Most of these people aren't under contract and already getting paid. They're looking for donations. I get that. I get that. Now, one quote I heard in researching this was this. 
There have been street performers at least as long as street, there have been streets. Yes, you're going to say streets. <sighs> <laughs> so we'll start in Rome. And I've uh, actually talked about these street performers on other shows, but one of the more popular entertainments in the Roman era was the mime. And yeah, they would walk around and they do kind of dirty things, but um, <laughs> the mime was not necessarily on the street mm -hmm. at that time, but more often rather on stage. However, the mime usually depicted scenes from either domestic life or made fun of scenes from stories of mythology. <laughs> And these were often placed as interludes or epilogues between and after acts of tragedies and comedies. The name derives from its earlier counterpart from the Greek era, a single actor called the pantomimus, which would most often tell a story without any spoken word. But like I said, most often, it didn't all the time happen that way. Sometimes they would actually be able to speak, but usually it was just a single person doing it. Pantomimus. Pantomimus. There's a deleted scene in Jurassic Park where they look at a dinosaur pretending to eat another dinosaur. Oh, that's <laughs> that's the pantomimus. <laughs> and it stops. Yes. It puts its little claws up <laughs> and walks just a little bit and then puts the claws over its face. You can't see me. Mm. <laughs> I wonder they went extinct. Just... <laughs> but soon this was developed as a regular character into Roman plays and mime drama was at times the most prevalent type of drama under different Roman emperors hmm. because they just enjoyed like, I don't really give a shit about the long story. Tell me those short, funny ones again. It's like, I don't want to watch a whole YouTube. Just give me a TikTok. So as far as street performers are concerned, mimes would sometimes be seen on the street by themselves, but more often than not, musicians were seen on the street. And until recording music was a thing, this was about the only way a musician could market their craft play on the streets until someone could hire you. Huh. But after Rome fell, free speech was highly regulated. So mimicking anything that could be considered against the king or church was highly forbidden. The only mockery in the medieval era seemed to come from court jesters. So the only kind of satire could take place directly in court, not in the streets. Oh, that's, yeah, it was, it got the approval. It had to be oh, interesting. And that's something. So a guy could like, you know, I've done a whole episode on jesters. I appeared on another podcast where they surprised me and told a history of jesters. But it was for the longest time, like the only way any kind of political commentary could happen was from the jester. Do you think North Korea, do you think North Korea has a gesture? No, no, no. Okay, just I checking. do not. Just not, checking. Not at all. Because seriously, at that point, Kim Jong-un would change his haircut. <laughs> they need one. Anyway. <laughs> now, during the Renaissance, street performance came in the form of Commedia dell'arte performance, which did employ some methods of mime in that usually troops spoke in a type of gibberish language since they crossed borders and often language barriers. So they spoke in a language that nobody could understand, but it was kind of a universal language. Uh, I've talked about it before. Like there's a guy in a scene where he's trying to go to sleep and a fly yeah. keeps buzzing yeah. over his head. Okay. So he's making the noise of the fly, but he's also making his noise as well. So it's like, and lays down to sleep and yeah, everybody yeah. gets that. Cause they're like, Oh, I've been there, but it wasn't, it wasn't an actual official language, so kind of mimish in a way. It's a really good fly sound you made. I did my best. <laughs> in England, however, 
Once the Church of England was formed, most street performance was looked on as sinful and shameful, as most often street performers were the only ones criticizing the government. So somehow it got away from court gestures and you have minstrels on the street performing songs about how fat Henry VIII is or which wife he's going to lop the head off next or something yeah. like that. Right? <laughs> now, often these performers would serve as something of the vessels of information from town to town as they would travel quite often. So they might be in one town and they're like, you know what makes everybody mad in Yorkshire? Ah. However, during Puritan rule in the mid-1600s, buskers were stomped out for the most part, even though some still practiced secretly for private parties and such. With big patent leather boots and shiny buckles, they were stomped out, those Puritans. Boom! And the tall pats pilgrim the crap out of them. Mm -hmm. Now, this is something I had to include. This is so great. English clowns actually made their way to the mainland in Europe. And while I was researching for uh, another topic for another episode, I found out that when German theater was just starting to develop in the late 1600s, they took the idea of the British clown mime and created their own to mock and represent and satirize German people. <laughs> His name was Hanswurst, or in English, John Sausage. Yeah, man, that's that's what I'm. John, so hey, this is uh, John Sausage here with your daily dose of German satire. I just hear a good bass in the back when you were doing that. Boom, boom, boom. And when you said English clowns made their way to America, mm -hmm. it, I got to see one tiny boat pull up to the dock and like 57 clowns keep piling out of the darn thing. <laughs> well, I haven't gotten oh, to the sorry. mainland of America yet. What I meant there was the mainland of Europe. They they crossed Ooh. the channel and they, got, they got all over there. Yeah. So that's why Germany was like, yeah, I like this English thing, but we're going to do one of our own. Hans first. And as you can guess, to parody the German people, Hanswurst wore a felt hat with a large mm. feather and lederhosen, ate lots of sausage, and drank lots of beer. As only they do. <laughs> yes. That a boy, Hans. The character was incredibly popular and started popping up in street performances all over Germany. Hanswurst! Mm -hmm. The people love their Hanswurst. Now, as you were suggesting, when the American colonies were established... Busking found a new home and they flourished. So all those 57 clowns that popped out, they probably dispersed and uh, all right, we need one in Delaware. We need one in Massachusetts. And yeah, go, yeah. go. Boston needs a Hanswurst. <laughs> <laughs> they found multiple practices as well. And not just music or clowning. Acrobats, fire eaters, and even pain demonstrations could be seen quite frequently. You know, like the people oh, who yes. would lay on beds of nails or, you know, like walk on hot coals I, I figured, I thought like it was that. like a, a pain demonstration. Uh, can I have an audience volunteer? <laughs> oh, nail. I just need one supple butt for my nail. <laughs> Didn't work out. Tell me if this hurts. <laughs> Voila, for my next trick. <laughs> now, accompanying these were often medicine shows or rather people who would sell uh, miracle yes. cures or magical remedies that often didn't work snake oil yes but when america was established and the constitution was written buskers were actually thought of quite heavily when writing the first amendment of the constitution protecting no free speech as the founding fathers did want to allow their people the opportunity to speak against the government if they felt nice. oppressed by it. 
So they wanted them to have the power of protest yeah. if they needed to. And oftentimes protest came in a silly poem or a funny song or somebody dressing up as George Washington and walking around going, <laughs> I'm George Washington, I got wooden teeth. <laughs> John Adams is like, yes, see, that's exactly what this world needs. Uh -huh. Actually, uh, as I was reading it, one of the earliest protesters who performed protest songs in the streets, Benjamin Franklin. Oh, how about that? <laughs> if he didn't like something, you just write it down and go sing it. Trust me, you're going to love this next one. I know all these guys. <laughs> all right, we're having a lot of fun here. Let's talk about the three-fifths clause. Okay. Now, busking remained quite popular until the era of recording, when most singers would record their music and distribute it that way. So this also happened to other areas of busking as well, when film and television became a way to distribute those. So, you know, if you're a sword swallower, well, you'd go on a TV program or something like that. Or, you know, if you're a comedian, you'd go on a radio program and tell your yeah. jokes or something like that. So it didn't, you didn't need to do it in, in vaudeville or on the street. And so, as such, buskers don't seem to have the same respect as artists who can get their work recorded, even though busking adds a lot of character to an urban lifestyle. Just imagine if you went to any, any city in the world and there weren't people playing guitars on street corners. Uh, yeah. And we, in, in Franklin, right where I am, there's downtown Franklin, charming little downtown. You've got violin players from the local colleges. Right. Or even, even imagine like, where would we be without break dancing? Yeah. Franklin. And by the way, busking, modern busking, uh, you know, you put the money in the open guitar case, but they have a sign on yeah. a stand about chest high with the QR code to to tip that way because no one has cash, you know? Here, just bloop. There you go. Mm -hmm. I actually, while we were in New York, my, my sons and I stopped at a hot dog stand in Times Square and we're getting a couple things to eat. While we're there, a guy comes up and slips a plastic card into my hand. It was like a laminated card. And he, he says his name and he says, I'm a comedian. I'm kind of interested in, in getting a little bit of a following. And... I just told him, like, look, but I, I, I can't right now. That's okay. And after a short conversation, he just he just goes, oh, okay, appreciate it. Give me my card back. <laughs> and I'm like, sure, here you go. And he left, disappeared. And then I look at the, the hot dog cart guy, and I'm like, oh, you're in cahoots. I get it. Okay, got it. Perfect. <laughs> like, you would take $5 for every 10 he gets. Okay, cool. Busking. <laughs> So, my listeners, I would love to hear from you. Tell me your stories about street performers. Be they good, be they bad, amazing, the best stuff you've ever seen, some of the most bizarre or terrifying you've ever seen. They're all good. Hit me up in the DMs on the Instagram feeds for either Trident Theater or Euripides Humanities. Or you could use the Contact Us form at tridenttheater.com. Coming up in the second half, we get a pretty interesting look at the art of mime and how it has evolved, plus a very tantalizing and scandalous look at a couple of Broadway's most famous or infamous characters in recent years. So, let's get back to Brian Michael Jones and the second half of Broadway Street Performers. But, as it relates to mime, as I said before, at least in America, we do seem to have a cultural aversion to street mimes. <laughs> this comes as a great discomfort to artists still practicing the actual art of mime. Like oh, we were yeah. talking about earlier, it's 
It's absolutely legitimate. And for my listeners, I'm just going to say this. Not all mimes have the striped black and white t-shirt, beret, white face, and suspenders. A lot of legitimate mime theaters may not use makeup at all, whereas some of them exclusively use makeup. But also their performers, uh, they invite their performers to create characters with their own costumes and, and, and traits and stuff. Some companies wear completely black mm, form-fitting mm. costumes and wear expressionless white face masks. Hmm. And I, I, it's just brilliant. It's just, you know, don't take the facial expression, use the body, use everything else to mm-hmm. tell this story. It's a pretty interesting art form. But even though the old days of making fun of mime might be over, like even today, we're like, yeah, that was something that we used to make fun of. We don't really do that anymore. But now we know that we just don't like street mimes. Mime done correctly still remains a legitimate storytelling genre, like you were saying. Absolutely. One of the world's premier practicing mimes is Greg Goldston. Greg with two Gs, Goldston, who proffers that when mime is done correctly, the mime takes an audience through an entire story and not always about just making people laugh at life's little foibles. A mime can actually bring an audience to tears and back again, making them rejoice at the richness of life. Absolutely. I mean, you get that as as a a, a, a puppet artist sometimes. You're like, no, I oh, can yeah, do this. Absolutely, my goodness, mime. Uh, you know, you don't you don't have the confines of language like you alluded to, um, and so many uh, even short films from Pixar and the like uh, deal with a- animals. And oh, so, really, yeah. without the language barrier, they're they're universally loved. And with puppetry, so much so is in the just the physical animation of the emotions. You know, at Henson, they teach you. All that wonderful stuff. Uh, I had a wonderful teacher, Alan Trotman, and he brought in, at Henson, he brought in gestures from classic melodrama, you know, like uh, David Garrick, physical positions. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. If you are sad, how would you put your arms and your head tilted in such a way where the, somebody in the 50th, 60th row could just look at your body posture and say, oh, he feels this. And so we use that in our in our puppetry and... And because we actually did an improvised puppet uh, show, we had to be able to lock in those uh, physicalities quickly because it's unscripted. We had to just be able to roll with it. And I thought that was a wonderful overlap of art. Yeah, we talked about it on the show before, but when you're acting, not a lot of people pay attention to silhouette. Especially with the framing of the camera being your stage, you know, as, as Jim, Jim Henson pioneered, scene composition. Frame composition is such an important uh, skill. And even your eye focus of left, right, up, down, huge difference. Right? Yeah. So here's where this mime, Greg Goldston, says it went wrong when people would study a little bit of mime. They'd learn a few tricks, and then they just take it to the street (laughs) for busking. They wouldn't learn the whole art form. They're like, I can do these few fundamental things. This, he says, hurt the art of mime quite a bit. And here's a longer quote from him. The stereotypical street mime hangs heavily over the art form. These entertainers who often offer illusions but not emotional conflicts or rich stories present only snippets of all that mime can do. Goldston, who performed on stage for larger audiences early in his career, saw this issue play out in New York City where the street mimes were once more prevalent. And here's his actual quote. The public sees all these mimes on the street and they think, why would I go into a theater to see you pull rope for two hours? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so awful. But he's right. It became so much that like people would just come up and they'd like without voice, look at somebody, pull out a fake flower, 
have him smell it and they're like yes you did the right thing uh, give me money yeah it's like i've got i've got a pitcher of water here can i pour one for you can i pour one for you and then they don't do it and they have to act and then finally the person mimes a glass of water and you're like good good wow. money hand open right away you know you, you talk about the uh the the, the decline mama have mime decline of mime <laughs> and i think i had a hand in it contemporarily because this this happened to me i was i was as an actor i, I went to nickelodeon <laughs> they were looking for a, a mime uh and i was sharing the audition room with two legit mimes i mean trained athletes and i and i know enough just like you say i know a couple little tricks to do the job now let me go busking i i learned a couple little mime things to go audition and be a mime on a kid's show and in the room it's a it's a the open door I hear the guy in front of me. He goes ahead and does auditions ahead of me. And the casting director, lovely, she she says, "Um, um, do you have any questions? They always ask that. Do you have any questions? And as an actor, no, let me just do the job and you tell me if you have any questions. I'm going to guess those trains mimes looked at them and shook their heads left and right. Oh, that's great. No, he had, (laughs) he actually says, yes. uh, Now, what kind of mime do you want? Do you want like a French Marcel Marceau train style mime? Or are you looking for more of a San Francisco, more in the street kind of, what kind of mime do you want? Because he wanted to do the job right. Right. And the the, the casting director, of course, said, oh, whatever, you know, whatever you want to do is fine, you know. So he needed some guidance because he was, so educated and yeah. i'm the jackass who came in and got mm-hmm. the job because i pretended to ride a horse now okay i'm gonna try to absolve you of that because i'm gonna say that's yeah. not your fault because I'm, I'm sure those guys like as i was reading about this nobody's making a living doing mm-hmm. mime anymore even goldston says <clears throat> there's only one form of art that pays less and that's poetry oh. yeah but um but no i would say that that is in my opinion that's a result of exactly the phenomenon I'm talking about. You have 20 years before that going, mimes are awful. And let me guess, were you the hero of that episode? No, I was the villain. Yeah. No, you got cake thrown in your face. There you go. Yeah, same. So now Greg Goldston rarely performs in the U.S. anymore, but travels extensively in Europe. And that's where his style of mime is a lot more appreciated. Like in Europe, they get it. The mime is not mocked as much as it was here in New York. Yeah. You know, and I think I think that's probably it. You take a mime, you put him in New York. You're like, what are you doing in front of me? Huh? Just get I mean, I only saw one person get aggressive while I was in New York, and it was just because it got in someone's way. Mime your own business. When you're in Times Square, it's like you see people. You're like, I am coming up with ideas of how to get around you. And that's that's just the Mm -hmm. constant that we're doing. But anyway, this whole phenomenon of it not being appreciated in New York got me thinking. This hasn't just happened with mime. When Times Square got cleaned up in the 2000s, and since their, air quotes, performance was protected by the First Amendment and no need to apply for permits, it seems as though many, air quotes, street performers found a way to make some money by getting into costume and posing for pictures with people in the street. Very much the same as some young artists would learn a few tricks in mime and go out in the street and do it. These guys went, well, I can just get in costume, can I? And that's what we have today. <sighs> so I'll tell you about a couple of them that have gained some notoriety. And from here on out, for anyone who finds themselves to be fairly litigious, I will say that the rest of the content on this episode is alleged. <laughs> now, 
There have been many who have donned costumes to get something out of the money coming to Broadway. I think this summer, some of the costumes that I saw were Mario and Luigi, the Statue of Liberty, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse, Sonic the Hedgehog, Bart Simpson and Homer Simpson, lots of anime characters. Ooh, I think I did see an Incredible Hulk and a Bumblebee. Yeah, Bumblebee from Transformers. Many versions of Batman and almost entire hordes of performers dressed in different Spider-Man costumes <laughs> of various weights. <laughs> like, that that web will hold you, huh? Okay. <laughs> My younger son, Ethan, who has been on the show several times, was warned not to approach them as they can be quite aggressive. He said he only wanted a high five from Spider-Man. I'm like, okay. Tom Holland, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> no, he likes the Miles Morales virgin. Oh, he's the best. I love him. Oh, he's so great, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I'm going to talk about uh, one of the more infamous examples of a costume creator later, but there is one particular performer who has gained worldwide fame, if you'd like to call it that, who has made a career out of a lack of costume, as it were. And I'm speaking, of course, as who you mentioned before. The naked cowboy. The naked cowboy. (laughs) Now, for those of you who don't know, one of the most sought-out performers in New York is the naked cowboy, who... I will say, isn't completely naked. His get-up... You mean his giddy-up? His get- Oh, his giddy-up. Brian, I'm going to send you a picture, so so we are on the same page here. Oh, dude, that's you. Did you mean me to send me that? Oh, no, this is... Okay, this is the actual naked cowboy. That guy (laughs) looks like... (laughs) He can destroy you. Wow, what a physique. I know! Get out of town. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to continue to describe this. Uh, His white cowboy hat has a hat band that reads out Naked Cowboy in red and blue letters. He also wears white briefs with the Naked Cowboy, and uh, Mm. they're written on the backside and in red and blue letters. And sometimes NYC is written on the hips of the underwear. He also wears white cowboy boots with the word naked painted on them. And he carries a guitar, which is covered in decals and various sponsors on his guitar as well. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. But the Naked Cowboy is also... In incredible physical condition, like you were saying, Brian. (laughs) And I don't know if you can see it in that picture, but he has a tattoo of Jesus on his right bicep and a tattoo of the devil on his left. Oh, no, I can't see it in the picture, but uh, I I believe you. Because he's flexing him too hard. I've never seen Jesus' face look so swole. It's amazing. And that's it. He could be seen in this getup just about any time of year, rain, snow, or shine. I love the snow. God, man, that's... Oh, can you imagine that? I mean, New York winters, like when they dump, it's like four feet of snow and he just gets out there. Well, another day to play my guitar. (laughs) How does he talk? He's actually from Ohio is from what I understand. Ohio. Well, is is he from Nebraska? Uh, Because they have uh, excellent corn buskers. Oh, I've lost you. Them buskers are number one at this point. Anyway, I'm ready. (laughs) The Naked Cowboy's real name is Robert Burke. And while he claims he is technically unemployed, and besides appearing for private parties and corporate events, or the money he makes from his three music albums or his book, wow, Brian, I know what you're going to say after I tell you this. Burke assumes that he makes well over $150,000 a year by appearing nearly nude in the street, primarily in Times Square, playing songs and posing for pictures. I'm in the wrong line of work. No, wait, I saw myself in the mirror. I am in the wrong line. <laughs> People would pay you to go eat and put a shirt on. 
I'm the dad bod cowboy of Times Square. Yeah, I think if I were to go in the street, they'd call me the naked bear, but that's another story. <laughs> you would make more than me. <laughs> Here's a quote that I read in an article. Unlike other buskers in the area, Burke doesn't actually ask for money or sell anything on the street. Though most people push a few dollars through the hole in his guitar as a thank you. On a slow day, he says he'll make around $150 in tips, but he also has days where he walks home with a thousand dollars. Awesome. In a day. In a day. What'd you do? I was in my underwear in <laughs> Times Square. Doing something right. Right? Burke has been practicing his act on Times Square since 1998. He first started the act in Santa Monica in the December of, in December of 1997. Often being a transient worker and often thus destitute, Burke turned to many methods just to keep living day to day. So in December 1997, Burke was in L.A. for a shoot with Playgirl. Hmm. Uh-huh. As many people have done. After a photo shoot one day, he donned a cowboy costume and took his guitar to Venice Beach and tried to make some money. He came back completely empty-handed. The next day, when he told his photographer what happened, the photographer suggested that he strip down to only his underwear, the hat, and the boots. He did so and came back that night with $100. <laughs> He went and told the photographer and the photographer, I think sounded something like that's my naked little cowboy <laughs> and the name stuck. And like that, a star was born. He moved to New York in 1998 and has been practicing his act ever since. Oh, it's the American dream. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Can we get the movie version, please? Please. Oh, my God. A yeah. naked cowboy movie would actually be really, really inspiring. Everyone would watch it. Everyone. Now I'm like, what are we doing? We're approaching Halloween here as we're recording this. And now I'm just seeing a whole bunch of kids going door to door as the naked yeah. cowboy. What are you going to go as Halloween? Uh, you know, I want to go as Michael Myers. But um, since I'm doing Rocky Horror Picture Show, I'm just going to, you know, dress nice and put on some glam makeup. Uh, I'm going to go as a uh, golden era of Hollywood silent film actor who does his own stunts. Oh, I love it. Busker Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go knock door to door. Hey, let me jump through your window. <laughs> I'm going to stand right here and not move. <laughs> you got a team of horses that could uh, tie me to my ankle or something? <laughs> mm. Oh, no. It, look, the the cowboy, the, the naked cowboy, I, I think he, oh. hope he continues busking in the afterlife. Oh. It's never, just because we need a ghost busker. My God. I'm sorry, Aaron. Oh, that's so good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you. Let's keep forward. Keep pushing forward. Puns. Oh, we're gonna well, lose well, the check eye. this out. Okay. No, no, you're going to love this. All right. Like the lengths he has gone to promote himself have been incredible. He's gotten really good at marketing himself. Mm -hmm. Each day when he gets home, he and his wife take all the bills out of his guitar and stamp the naked cowboy on each of them. They've gotten a stamp and a little ink pad, which has become something of an internet trend to find out where the bills end up. That's fun. Isn't that great? Yeah, I knew that. I know that this bill was in his guitar. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. And then, or if you didn't, you go naked cowboy and you go look it up. Oh, and then you see you he's go. this big internet, this internet thing. And then you're like, you know, we've been meaning to go to New York, and you go find the naked cowboy. Let's report him for the felony that that is. Yeah, exactly. Of marring and marking our currency. Let's get him. Uh, alleged 
Alleged. 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 You'll see why I say that in just a moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the early days of his act, he would actually call the police and tell them there was a naked man singing in the streets in a certain location. Then he would don his costume and go to that location. He'd get his pictures in the paper and all over television. Brilliant. (laughs) Just brilliant. You're gobsmacked. I love it. Oh, that worked. Yeah, it did. It actually did. No bad. There's no such thing as bad press. Right. And now he's something of a scavenger hunt item for tourists to find. He says he has husbands ask him to pick up their wives for pictures at least a hundred times a day. Uh, pick up my wife here. Hold, take my wife, please. Take my wife, please. Hold her. But as I was saying, he's also quite protective of his brand. He has his name and likeness trademarked. That's right. He has launched many lawsuits against people who have gained even a small following for copying his image, including several naked cowgirls Mm. who did not seek permission and had no idea his likeness was regulated and caused a huge internet buzz, which only grew his popularity and interest in his image even more. He even sued candy makers Mars Incorporated in 2008 for posting an M&M in a video billboard in Times Square with his signature hat, boots, briefs, and guitar. Oh, man. Mars ended up settling out of court for an undisclosed amount. Millions! <laughs> How smart is that? I, I, I wow. recently heard it on a podcast somewhere. It's like, that's why patents exist. That's why patents exist. If you come up with something that nobody else has, you get to a patent office right now. Yeah. Or if nobody's patented that idea before, well... Mm, you get to awesome what a smart move what a smart what a a brilliant Mm -hmm. man yeah burke even ran for office of new york city mayor in 2009 and 2012 the latter time he cut his signature long hair into a nice conservative short haircut and ran with the slogan do more with less (laughs) (laughs) he did not receive many votes Oh, uh, I'd love to think that he skewed the election in some direction, at least. Oh, I, I really hope like some party lost some favor because the naked cowboy party was in the uh, was on oh. the ticket. Wouldn't it have been amazing <laughs> if he had been erected, uh, elected? Uh, what do you mean? What? <sighs> been amazing. So here's a quote. I, I found in an article on him. Burke has starred in Chevrolet and Guinness commercials, made numerous movie cameos, appeared on Law and Order Criminal Intent, (laughs) and is an ordained minister who has officiated several weddings. Fantastic. Oh, fantastic. His wife has now joined his act, often accompanying him in a bikini as the naked cowgirl. The official. The official naked cowgirl. Absolutely. Well, there's got to be an action figure. I mean, it seems like such a... Is there not a keychain at least? Well, if it wasn't licensed by him, then no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know how many Etsy shops he has shut down <laughs> making macrame <laughs> naked cowboys? How many subreddits are now toast? <laughs> but as far as costume characters on the Great White Way are concerned, there is one that when I started researching, I knew I needed to talk about to bring a climax to this episode. Mm. And that is Evil Elmo. Oh, that guy. 
Oh my God, Brian. Brian. Just dirty. The eyes are looking wall like different directions. They're not even focused. Do you, do you know anything about Evil Elmo? I'm going to feign ignorance and have you tell me every dirty tidbit. Okay, here, I'm going to send you a picture because uh, this is, yeah, yeah, as you were saying, uh, different uh, looks in different directions. I don't even think the nose is the right color. Ugh, this makes me so sad. I know, I know, and I don't know what's going to happen by the end of the, this next little section here, Brian, but uh, it's quite a story. That's all I can say. The 2010s is where some truly strange stuff starts happening in Times Square. And I'll read you something of a longer cutting from an article I read. Although there is more nudity on Broadway stages than on Broadway streets, the mayor and the police commissioner, goaded by several days of front page headlines in the Daily News, were determined to do something about the dozen or so women who called themselves hashtag disnudas and parade around in Times Square plazas wearing little more than body paint. Mm -hmm. We saw some of those, red, white, and blue. I was walking my kids to our hotel, and here's several girls with like showgirl fans coming, or feather fans coming out their heads, and, and just, just like straps coming up paint. their bodies, yeah. and paint up and down. And you're like, that is a butt cheek, son. And you have those <laughs> as well. And that's fine. That that's is fine. a butt cheek, son. <laughs> as you mash um, your pipe. And your sweater vest. <laughs> yes, everybody has them. And uh, well, there we are. Here's a, a continuation of that quote. In Times Square one night, the guy with the I need money for weed sign stabbed his rival with the I need money for beer sign in the head with a pen. <sighs> Why can't we use our words? You know what? The most clever one I ever saw that and, and everybody's seen it by now. You know, it's now that stupid like tiktok meme of you know handsome guy holding up the sign in the street yeah but best one i ever saw was in seattle i was going for an audition and i uh, you know I, I did the audition i didn't feel good about it and i'm standing on the street corner and I turn around and there's a guy behind me says ninjas killed my family i need money for karate lessons <laughs> <laughs> and i happen to have a dollar in my pocket i turned around and went way to go dog oh <laughs> uh, that's fantastic but anyway this is where Evil Elmo comes in. The Broadway cleanup that began in the early 2000s has been more or less successful, but as always, there have been some bad apples. In the early 2010s, a man dressed as Elmo from Sesame Street would do the usual pose for pictures and ask for a tip thing. His name is Dan Sandler. He's still practicing today, but often will go under the pseudonym Adam Sandler. Oh, wow. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, just pick the name. Yeah. Just pick the name. Which I say, you know, as a podcaster who has done some pretty good uh, search engine optimization, that probably got him a lot of uh, interesting press. Mm. But soon, lots of complaints to police seem to involve an Elmo saying and doing disturbing things to people while in costume. And uh, here's just a short list. Oh, good. I was hoping. In 2012, while being overwhelmed by excited tourists, he began to scream out, I hate Jews. Oh, and God. the Jews are responsible for everything that's wrong in the world. <sighs> he was arrested for this incident. Mm -hmm. In later interviews, he claimed that he was Jewish and that his outbursts were to scatter the tourists who weren't tipping as they represented evil Jewish business interests, evidently from some of the more extreme factions of the religion. 
Isn't that funny how people try to save their skin and just dig a deeper hole? It's like, oh, like that justify. Oh, oh, well, in that case, you're not a crazy <laughs> oh, anti-Semitic. I, I see bag. where you're going. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That same year, he was accused of groping several people while in costume. Were they Jewish? I don't know. Okay, sorry. I don't know. Yuck. This could be, as Sandler suggests, related to performer Kevin Clash who was the voice of Elmo on Sesame Street, who chose to retire his position on the show in light of a sex scandal with an underage accuser. Thus, Sandler says that people directly associated him with that act. Here's a quote from Sandler. I've had women wanting to wrap their legs around me. When we're in the costume, women want us. One woman asked me to touch her breast. I wouldn't do it. End quote. Well, good for you. <laughs> Bravo. Excellent in showing that restraint. How do you feel about the Jews? Um, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Sandler then pled guilty to disorderly conduct. <laughs> what did he did he cop a plea deal? All right, <laughs> I'll give you names. I'll plead guilty, but I don't want any jail time. All right, yeah, just just put the order in my hand, yes. Your Honor. SpongeBob, I got some dirt on him. Oh. <laughs> don't get me started on Sandy Cheeks. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, God, I couldn't resist it. You, you led me right down the path. <laughs> it was then that he declared he'd be relocating to Honolulu to continue his work as Elmo. Evidently, the Times Square racket had become oversaturated with Elmos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. But he had one more bomb to drop before he left New York City. For some time as a temp job in 2006, Sandler had been doing some computer programming for the Girl Scouts of America headquarters in New York City. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. I, I have to just put a disclaimer on this next thing that I'm going to say. I'm not really happy that I'm going to say it, but I'm not going to censor myself here because this is legitimately what happened and this is legitimately was what was said. And where did Brian immediately go? Oh, we've lost connection. <laughs> <laughs> in 2012, Sandler began writing threatening emails to Girl Scouts higher up, suggesting the following, quote, from an email, I will show up at Girl Scout functions and other places that parents and kids congregate and hold signs connecting the Girl Scouts with the Cambodian rape camp man. Who is that? Let me explain. In 1999... Sandler was arrested in Cambodia for running a pornographic website that exploited its workers in a number of illegal ways. So Sandler was trying to extort $2 million from the Girl Scouts of America for not vetting their employees and potentially connecting them with a man who had a history of violating sex crimes himself. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm nervously checking the clock and uh, I'm going to pretend I'm going to get a text from my wife here in a second. Uh, I don't know. I gotta go. I gotta go. Oh, God. That's, okay. What so an that, insane that, yeah. piece of garbage. Allegedly. Well, allegedly. Sheesh. And what a plot. Like, uh -huh. uh, I've got a dark past. I'm going to go see if anybody will hire me and not do a background check. <laughs> <laughs> that same logic is going into a police station saying, hey, if you don't give me some money... I'm going to tell you where the bodies are buried by this guy who killed folks who maybe lives in my house with me. 
And the guy at the the, oh. the entrance stand of the police station is like, oh, do you take a check or a cashier's check? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a temp, the Girl Scouts obviously had no idea that he would have such a past. Sandler was arrested in 2013 as he was in San Francisco at the time. So they had to go get him. It was great. He was still there playing Elmo in tourist areas around San Francisco. Now in New York City, his lawyers stated that their client was obviously so mentally ill that no one should actually take his claim seriously. Sandler was sentenced to one year in jail, which he accepted, saying he broke the law, but he had a good reason to do so. What? What was his reason? Because, you know, protecting the Girl Scouts. Got it. I, I got to yes. have, there's a conversation that happened. All right, settle down, <laughs> gentlemen. All right, we got the orders. Mac, Mackenzie, you're staying here. You're doing the work in the beat in the Times Square. Jones and Odom, I'm going to send you two detectives on a field trip. You're going to San Francisco. Your perp, Dirty Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted dead or alive. Feel free to feel free to rough him up as you shove him in the in a crate and ship him. But chief, anyway. chief, how are we gonna find him? Uh, just follow your nose. <laughs> He's Toucan Sam. Um, <laughs> I didn't see a Toucan Sam. That would oh. be great though. Oh God. In 2015, Sandler had been seen in San Francisco, where he has already been in trouble had already been in trouble with the law for his anti-Semitic remarks. And in one instance, he grabbed a child on the street while in Elmo costume and started discussing sodomy with the child. Oh, you know, you're in San Francisco. We should talk about uh, some of the local activities. Dear God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in interviews, Sandler has said that he makes a lot of money with the Elmo gig, but he may want to don designer jeans and a mask of Woody from Toy Story for the next chapter in his career. However, he has been arrested in San Francisco as Elmo and is near as February 2023, has been seen in Santa Cruz, California on the wharf in a cookie monster costume, doing his usual routine of posing for pictures and demanding tips. It has become quite aggressive. While some try to get him to laugh, others simply avoid him. They know now. Don't talk to Cookie Monster. Uh, Here's a quote from a business owner who was interviewed. I don't think he belongs on the street. No one wants to hear the Cookie Monster say he's going to kill their family. You want to murder your mom? You want, that's it. <laughs> uh... Um, I I want a happy ending here, Aaron. I want to I want to know. Cookie Monster was found in a ditch in Santa Cruz, California. Okay. Can we no. just get him? To I'm sorry, I I can't I can't deliver on that, Brian. Uh, uh, I just have to let you know uh, that a PSA was put out by the Santa Cruz Wharf in February 2023. It's kind of a longer one, but I'm just going to read it. In recent weeks, you may have seen a man dressed up like the Cookie Monster in the Santa Cruz area, including the beach and wharf areas. It is important to note he is not employed by, contracted by, or permitted by the city of Santa Cruz or any local business. He is exercising his First Amendment rights. However, if you have concerns about inappropriate behavior or him claiming to be hired by the city or a business, you should contact Santa Cruz police immediately. <sighs> And Brian, that's my story about Broadway street performers. Oh, and that was the climax? You, I need to go take a brain shower. Actually, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Here's my climax to this story. Ugh. Before we left, I think it was on our second to last night of, in New York, we went out for pizza again. Mm -hmm. And Ethan got a high five from Miles Morales. 
There you go. Yeah. Guy didn't even bother him. Guy didn't even bother him. He was with, I think, Princess Peach and a couple other Spider-Man in different costumes, but they were all Ooh. together. And yeah, it was great. He was like in the little windbreaker and and uh, a backpack. And I think he might have had earbuds in. And I'm yeah. like, yep. Nah, nah. Oh, okay. You got good. the whole thing, dog. Yeah. That's great. I yeah. love the the punk rock uh anarchist uh Spider-Man. The, the, oh yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's he's, a good one. He's the best. Oh, we did see a couple uh Thor impersonators while we were there too. And I'm like, all right, good on you. Yeah. But I just told everybody, like, don't talk to them. <laughs> don't don't talk to them. Uh, they're standing in front of the Disney store, but they are not here for Disney. They are not employed by Disney right now. <laughs> I listen. I my time in, in in Los Angeles, twenty years of it. I I learned very quickly to to avoid walking down Hollywood Boulevard. But you did it. You do the Walk of Fame. You look at the Grandma's Chinese Theater. You take it all in, and the history of Hollywood kind of hits you in a nice nostalgic place as an actor. But then you realize, oh, this is candy. This is not. There's nothing real here. Yes. This, this is all. Yeah. Yeah. One of my first trips to L.A. was before I went to college. And so, yeah, we went to the Grauman's Theater. And, you know, it was first time seeing it. I was like, whoa, I've seen that in movies and stuff. And you get out and you go look at the footprints and the handprints of all the famous people. You're like, there's John Travolta. I just saw him in a movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we took a picture of a guy. In fact, we made a second trip to come back and take this picture. And we simply called him the Garden Man. And this is a guy who... I, you know, I don't want to make assumptions, but appeared pretty destitute, possibly homeless, who had a wooden box that sat on his head and a couple like supports that would go down to his shoulders. And the box had dirt and plants growing out of it. And they were mostly dying. And that was a shtick that just that was a shtick. And that's what he look at that garden on my head. Listen, I will have a beer. I will buy a seafood dinner with Garden Head <laughs> over two previously talked no, characters, both played by the same guy. Uh, yeah. Any day of the week. But I'll tell you what. Hey, shout out to the naked cowboy. Come on. Like, he, he's that's it. I mean, Keep what it going, a guy. Dude. What a guy. And, you know, uh, in recent years, he's gotten a lot more political. Like he's put uh, decals of whatever, you know, he's fairly right wing. So we'll put like decals of whoever's running for a right wing office on his guitar. And, yeah. you know, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, you you found a shtick and nobody else was doing. You did it right. Yeah. You trademarked it so that when people showed up and here's another funny thing that I think is hilarious. Like he's this thing that's known all over the world, but he's taken his act on the road. That's awesome. So he's gone places. I guess he got run out of Mobile, Alabama. Uh, okay, for going to like a state fair or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I don't. I and, wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, "You can't do that round here. You're giving my wife palpitations." <laughs> New York City. New York. Uh huh. Um, yeah. Would he sue me if I showed up at Times Square as the uh, uh, wearing a f- uh, naked paralegal with a fedora, wingtip shoes, and a briefcase? <laughs> giving, not even charging people just giving out bad legal advice <laughs> how about the naked crooner you know you could show up as like B, as bing crosby and like how about how about yeah. like those chippendales like collar <laughs> and, and yeah bow tie and and, co- and cuffs and just <laughs> you know and get out there and sing some old frank sinatra tunes or something 
Naked Cowboy needs his. What? Who is his arch nemesis? The naked uh, Yankee mm. city slicker. Uh, oh, the, the na- oh, got would... it. The naked emo. <laughs> and then you know what? And and he has and he has an Elmo head on that tickle me emo. Shout oh out God. to that amazing Mad TV sketch by Ryan Smith. Oh, I was gonna say the the clothed school marm. That's it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, howdy, ma'am. Mm. No, thank you. <laughs> I still want my action figure. My God. Well, Brian, there we go. Any final yep. thoughts? Oh, man. Shout out to all the buskers in New York. Yeah. Uh, working yeah. their butts off. And, you know, a, a good good friend of mine, Harold uh, Barnard, who was a uh, who, who wrote and sung the song Hooters Girl. Oh, yeah. That, I know uh, Harold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know Harold. Yes. He busted yeah. for, in New York for many, many years and made uh, a very good living more than most restaurant jobs and more than I – mean, if you just got to pay the rent, man, you're, you're doing well if you got a nice little chunk – and, and in the subway, you do have to have uh, a permit, and yeah, uh, and, and there's yeah. a there's a time and a slot that that you get and a place that you have for your performance, and the acoustics down there, man. Oh man, there's some honestly yeah. some amazing performers down there. The, the, yeah. Listen, the, the the subway system in New York has some of the has some of the much better performers than most cities, right. Yeah, any day. I mean, I I will say this. I don't remember too many of them because we only took the subway one day that we were there. Mm-hmm. You know, we were honestly trying to get to a very specific spot, a very specific time, and it was in the opposite direction of which which way most traffic was going at that time. So I think we missed a lot of them. But I have a soft spot in my heart for a guy that will just turn an industrial bucket upside down oh. and play some of the most amazing licks I have ever heard in my life. I did, I did marching band drum line for, for two, two years. And I know enough, just enough to look at him and go, dang, you're amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Every time I would go to a Mariners game when I was in Seattle, I'd pass by one guy who was in the same spot every time. And several times I'm like, I, you're killing it out here. You're killing it. Here's a couple bucks. I have, uh, maybe I'll, I'll end this with one little, little anecdote yeah. story. I, I have busked once in oh. my life. I have. Hey. I was in uh, uh, Malibu. I, I went to Pepperdine. Our alma mater. School was over and I, and I, I had a, a whole day and a half to kill. And uh, a buddy who was going to pick me up uh, couldn't or something. There was a car that wouldn't work. And so we had all this time to kill and we had no money for uh, dinner. And I was like, well, I got my guitar. <laughs> so I went I went down the Malibu Colony area and oh, yeah. okay. improvise and sing songs to uh, people straight you know, about them. Uh, just vague <laughs> enough to where they're like, is that, is that guy singing about me, you know? <laughs> and um, I make a dollar here and there, but one guy bought the whole dinner. He, he gave us a, a 20 bucks. He, he was from Europe. He looked a span, either from Spain, um, I think. Yeah. And, you know, where they appreciate mimes, as we learned. And uh, I was, first of all, I was singing in first person about uh, wearing everything he was wearing, to make it very clear. I was singing <laughs> from his point of view. And he was with his, his lover. Um, and I sing about how much the woman across from me is so much better than me. In every way, her eyes do this. Oh, uh, so I made him oh. look like Don Juan. I made him look like an absolute yeah. king. And, and oh. he, he came over. He he put his cigarette out to come over and and say, "There's very good. There's very good. Here's a twenty. Here's a good. <laughs> like, Thanks so much. No, I close the guitar up. Oh, great. No, stop. We, let's you go get you some, have sealed the deal. Let's go get point. a burrito. <laughs> we got our money. 
That's amazing. There's this great story about a world-class violinist, Joshua Bell, who, as an experiment, played some of the most complex violin music ever played on his centuries-old Stradivarius dressed as a busker in a New York subway station. The result? People just passed him by. On the other hand, I've seen hundreds of people stand in a street just to watch a barefooted man jump from a chair onto a pile of broken glass. Who knows what people will find entertaining? If nothing else, I hope you found this episode entertaining. I want to thank Brian Michael Jones for his contributions to this episode, and I wish him all the best in his future endeavors. And speaking of future endeavors, I got a lot of great new content coming your way, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. We'll get a new episode out to you in another two weeks, and I'll see you at intermission. Mm-hmm.